from the Political Science Department at UW-Madison, I'm Josh Messner. One of my favorite things about teaching at UW is uh, every morning walking up Bascom Hill to North Hall. There was also something about this department that was really wonderful. I felt like I was joining a place where the kind of work that I did would be valued and respected. People were pleasant and thoughtful and really intellectually engaged. In those instances, I'm always reading from the Badgers. This, 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 this is 1050 Bascom. We're pleased to have Marie Coco on the podcast today. She is a career and internship specialist at SuccessWorks, and she's advised hundreds of our students. Uh, when we ask current students what kind of podcast and who they want to hear from, many mentioned Marie by name, and many wanted us to talk to someone with her type of insight, her expertise, her advice on internships, and professional development opportunities. So let's dive in. Thanks for being here, Marie. Thank you. So we look forward to kind of picking your brain on these you know, navigating professional development opportunities, career pathways, just kind of see what's out there for students. Cool. So let's start just like with a little warm up question. All right. What is SuccessWorks? What is SuccessWorks? So the best way to think of SuccessWorks is to think of us as your career and internship development home base. Okay. So we do everything from helping a student write their first resume to helping a student negotiate salary to mm. everything in between. So, um, you know, how to how to network, how to find someone to informationally interview or shadow, opportunities to go out into the field mm -hmm. and, and be in an employer's workspace, a chance to come into our office and yeah. visit with employers in our workspace all of those kinds of things. And we strongly encourage students to engage with us as early as possible sure. because so many of those opportunities are best done if you're a freshman, a sophomore, right. or a junior. Right. How long has SuccessWorks been around? Has it been rebranded? Yeah, right. what's the story behind that? So as an office, we have existed on this campus for many, many, many years. We mm -hmm. used to be LNS Career Services. Oh, okay. Um, but we are significantly larger and have significantly more resources as SuccessWorks. And so when we both moved out of the Middleton Building, which was our old location mm -hmm. and is currently the home of the Center for Pre-Law Advising, for those of you who don't know. <laughs> so when we moved out of that old building into our new building in the bookstore, we went along with uh, an alumni association called the Traction Factory who helped us rebrand and gave us logos and all kinds of different things with the idea that we really wanted students to see us you know, a lot of people think of their career office, as I said before, is just the place you go when you're a senior to write your resume. And we did mm -hmm. not want students thinking gotcha. of us in that way. Did you see a lot of students coming to you? Um, and that's why you decided to branch off and, and kind of make a whole development scenario just for these type of students? Yeah. What what, uh, what was going on there? Yeah. So w regarding my specialty in particular, I've been here almost 10 years now. And about eight, nine years ago, the Department of Homeland Security came here to do a program. And at that time, the most I had really done with government was to inherit the fact that we had a general workshop about how to apply for federal jobs. And I realized very quickly that nobody on this campus really had that expertise. Mm. And so I said, well, I'll do that. So I took a deep dive into that and over the years built up the expertise in working with federal and state agencies mm -hmm. and then added on all the other things that students who had those interests had, like gotcha. working for politicians and campaigns. And so ultimately, when we built SuccessWorks, we started looking around at a lot of big 10 institutions and other institutions mm -hmm. have started going to toward, model. toward a model exactly okay. where they do, they'll call them uh, 
we call them communities, but others call them pathways or, you know, mm-hmm. they have different names. Rutgers does it. A lot of schools do it. Okay. Um, and so what we did is we looked at our campus community and at the community of LNS in general and said, what areas do we need specialists in? And so the other specializations okay. were built from that. So SuccessWorks is just housed within LNS or, yes. okay, so then are yes. there other programs on campus for, say, engineering students or business Absolutely. students? And what type of infrastructure is there for them? Yeah, so there's the engineering Career Center, the um, Education Career Center, the Business Career Center. Um, Cal's has one, so he has one. Pharmacy okay. has one. Oh, wow. You name it. Um, almost every major college and program on this campus has their own career office. Okay. Um, as students probably know, this is a very decentralized campus. There's mm-hmm. very little that is centralized. Um, but it, as SuccessWorks, we do serve the 22,000, so that's the 16,000 undergrads and about five, 6,000 mm-hmm. grad students in the College of Letters and gotcha. Science. Okay. We were doing a little bit of nosing around on the website. And when I look at your title, it is career and internship specialist in government policy, international affairs, law, nonprofit management, and education. That's an enormous swath of fields. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about your own career background and how you became knowledgeable in these? Sure. So as I say, I had started going back nine, 10 years now, developing the specialization. And that honestly came mostly from passion. My mother had spent her entire career, about 20 some odd years, running a social service agency. Mm -hmm. So I had come from some background in public service. So I always had a predisposition toward it. And when I had my first job, which was at Concordia University, where I got my master's degree, my boss was a part of a group called the Government College Relations Council, which is in Chicago and still exists to this day. And he started taking me along to their meetings. And so I got involved with government very, very early Mm. on in terms of students looking at jobs in there, but then went away from that for a while, was an academic advisor for a while. And then when I came back, it just was a perfect storm of events where the woman who had been giving the government, as I said, that federal government workshop left. And um, our boss at the time said, you do it. And I said, I (laughs) could, but I don't know that much. And I'm not the kind of person who's willing to stand up in front of anybody and say, do something unless I feel like I'm an expert. That's part of my makeup. So I just started reading everything that was possible. I went to a training in Washington, D.C. that's run by a woman who runs the largest agency for helping people uh, get hired for federal jobs. I did some training through the, the Partnership for Public Service. And then otherwise, it was mostly talking to students and talking to alums and talking to people and, and reading books, too, but who worked in these fields and gaining knowledge and expertise from those who had been there and those who had experienced this about what's really going on, how does it go on, what do you need to have to be prepared sure. so that when students came in, I could pass along that knowledge to them. How about any highlights that you've seen within your professional development along the way that were kind of interesting to you? Yeah. So last year, I was invited. We have an alum who is currently an FBI agent. He serves mm-hmm. out at the Middleton office, and he invited me to apply for the inaugural class of what they call the FBI Citizens Academy. Okay. It had been going on for quite some time all over the country and in Milwaukee, but it was the inaugural class here in Madison. And so it was a chance for a small group of us to get to really see from the inside, learning directly from agents, what they do, how they do it. We went to a firing range. I shot a gun. (laughs) I held a gun for the first time in my entire life. It was absolutely fascinating. They showed us how they disarm uh, like IEDs. They showed us all kinds of fascinating things. And why is that important? Well, I talk with a number of students every single year who would Mm. like to work for the FBI. So I have an insight into some of the things that they do. Hands-on experience. Heck yes. Cool. And then the other one was just this past March. There's an organization called PLEN, Public Leadership Education Network. 
work, I think it stands for. Okay. I really ought to know. But it's P-L-E-N. And it's specifically focused on women and women's development in the public sector. And so I got to go to Washington, D.C. Basically, it was all students and then me, But because <laughs> I just wanted to learn. Yeah, I, I like to learn. But awful. it was uh, focused on women in global development. And so it was all kinds of international and global development because part of my thing is international affairs. And it was an area that I knew about, but I didn't feel like I had a strong handle on um, because I don't come from that background mm-hmm. and no one I knew did. So I really wanted to get some some insight into that. And I came back, I, I was just kind of like Paul on the road to Damascus, evangelical about <laughs> Plen at that point, because I was just like, oh my God, every woman needs to go to one of these. They are so fabulous. And they okay. really are. Sure. If I were a student, it would have changed my life. Mm. Let's talk about maybe what type of students you see, what stages of career planning they're in. And then in those scenarios, what is your jumping off point? Say I'm a freshman. Mm-hmm. I kind of know I want to study, let's say, poli-sci. Not really sure what I can do with that. Where do we go? Again, it depends on what the student really is not knowing. But Mm -hmm. sometimes if that's the general question, there's a resource on our website. It's called, What Can I Do With a Major In? And so that's a simple jumping off point. And what that allows you to do is to sit with the student and say, here is a a formally compiled list. We didn't compile it. It's from, uh, I think, (laughs) Delaware or some other university. But it's a formally compiled list. And what it does is from top to bottom, it goes through the most common things someone with that degree would do, who would employ them, and what strategies they should do if they want to get to that. So it'll start at the most common and go down to the least common. Okay. And what's fabulous is that, you know, because they're probably hearing all the time from you, from me, from everybody, you can do everything with that degree. <laughs> and then they go, yeah, but like what? Everything is daunting sometimes. <laughs> it, it absolutely can be. And so what this really does is say, okay, so look, one of the things you could do is law. But obviously, law involves law school. Do you want to go to law school? Can you afford to go to law Mm -hmm. school? Did you know there's an office on campus that can have that conversation with you to really help you narrow that down? Mm -hmm. So it's it's kind of getting them exposed to the things that they, you know, they might certainly know that they could run for Congress. Maybe they don't want to run for Congress, but they want to be involved in working with someone who does. So it's kind of exploring where they would like to get experience and then letting them know that I often liken it to uh, Wheel of Fortune. It's the spin the thing and whatever comes up, try that. Because when they're the early stages, you can't make a wrong choice. You just make a choice. You try it out. You like it. You don't like it. But you get a chance to get some practical hands-on experience doing something that, you know, you thought you might have an interest in. What is, if you have a student come to you Mm -hmm. that's, you could say, this is my ideal student to come to Mm -hmm. an advising session? What might that student look like? You know, you can't say, well, his name is Joe and blah, 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 right? (laughs) So what is some aspects about this student that would be beneficial to help you help them. A student who is open to different ideas, but not so open that they haven't got a clue where they're Mm -hmm. going. Somebody who is at the point of, well, maybe I'll go train horses. Well, maybe I'll work for a politician. Really hasn't thought about enough for us to have a useful conversation at that stage. But someone who's like, maybe politician, but maybe long term, I want to get into working in a think tank. That's a conversation we can absolutely have. It's also true that, you know, maybe it's, I want to work for the UN, but I don't know exactly exactly doing what or exactly mm-hmm. where, we can also have that conversation. They okay. don't have to be super clear on exactly where they're going. I wouldn't yeah. be if I were 18. But it's more that they have some notion of what they're drawn to, even if it's just a passion. And I, and I often tell students who are interested in, in some of the nonprofit and international affairs areas, is it AIDS? Is it hunger? Is it homelessness? Is it refugees? What are you drawn mm-hmm. to? Then we can find opportunities for you to get involved and to try that out and see whether or not yeah. it's what you thought it was going to be. Do you ever find you have students, let's say now that I'm a senior and I haven't had too much internship experience Mm -hmm. and now 
all my friends have internship experience and I kind of feel a little behind the ball. What do you tell a student like that? Well, it again, it varies because certainly there are a number of students and maybe some of you listening who've been in the situation where financially, maybe you didn't have the opportunity to spend four years doing mm-hmm. internships, especially in this area, because as you may or may not know, many of these internships are unpaid. And yes, there are sometimes scholarships, but sometimes there aren't. And so many times students might have had to hold a job for four years in order yeah. to pay their way through school. What we talk about in particular is how do you parlay those work skills and that sense of dedication and responsibility into what an employer wants? And I guarantee you, an employer is always interested in someone who who had to be in a position of, hey, I couldn't just do whatever I wanted whenever yeah. I wanted to. I had to work through school and, and I had to work at JCPenney. Well, you know what? That There is no shame in having that job or having that experience because in those four years or however long you spent at JCPenney, you have learned every top 10 skill that an employer is looking for. We have a mm-hmm. list of them. Um, and what we then do is we work to bring those out on your resume. No employer wants to see a list of duties and tasks that you performed. What they want to know is what kinds of things did you learn how to do? Did you learn how to work in a team? Did you learn mm-hmm. how to supervise someone? Did you learn how to solve problems? And can you show me how you did that? Because you're going to be able to do that in my environment as well. Sure. I think that's another driving factor for students to get internships and job opportunities, because if they have, you know, lifeguarding, for instance, Mm -hmm. on their resume, they feel maybe ashamed that that is true. This doesn't help me get a job in their end. You know, absolutely. They feel that way. But it sounds like, you know, Lifeguarding, you learn a lot yes. of val- valuable tools doing that. And let's face it, you've been working for the for probably your city or maybe your county, depending on who hires the mm-hmm. lifeguards. Mm-hmm. But you've actually got some experience working right. for, for a bureaucratic organization exactly. already. Right. So. And you may not even know it. <laughs> exactly. Definitely. Exactly. What sorts of skill sets do you see or you hope to see graduating seniors have from a liberal arts degree to go out into the world and, you know, you have a fighting chance at least? Yeah. So there is organization called the National Association of Colleges and Employers, abbreviated NACE. And if a student Googles NACE, N-A-C-E, top 10 skills, you're going to come up with, the, they do this every year, they survey nationwide employers and they ask, what are the top 10 skills you want to see on a student's resume? And I'm, gonna, I'm looking at them right now, I'll give them to you. Number one, problem solving. Number two, ability to work in a team. Number three, written communication. Four, leadership. Five, strong work ethic. Six, analytical quantitative. Seven, communication. Eight, initiative. Nine, detail-oriented. And 10, flexibility and adaptability. And what I often say to students is, tell me one single thing on that list that you could not have gained in some way, shape, or form Mm -hmm. if the only job you ever held was Culver's. And usually they're like, well, I didn't write much. Okay, fair. Name me another one. <laughs> you know, that's the thing is yeah. that all of those skills you can get from any job, no matter how, I don't like the term menial, but no matter how unprestigious that job might be. And you absolutely build those skills from the things that you do within your majors. Tell me about a time you don't have to use leadership or demonstrate a strong work, a strong work ethic when you're a student is getting your stuff in on time without someone constantly having to remind you or asking for extensions. Mm-hmm. You have demonstrated these skills for four years problem solving. If you haven't done that, I'm not sure how you managed to make it through four years at Madison. It's the top skill that employers want. Yeah. And I mean, that just goes to show that, you know, knowing verbatim Thoreau or Mills or mm-hmm. it's not on the list. No, it's beneficial. It really Absolutely. helps build it helps some of those skills. Think. Yes. Right. And so doing that versus being able to do a derivation, mm-hmm. you know, that's also can add to those skills. Absolutely. Right. So whatever major you choose, as long as you can build some of these skills and, and apply them. Mm hmm. 
you'll be just fine. Yeah, and the quantitative skills that a stats major learns versus the quantitative skills that a poli-sci major learns are, it's the same math, mm -hmm. it's just how are you applying yes. it. And you're getting yeah. it, in a, you're, if you're a stats major, you're getting it more in a theoretical sense, whereas if you're a poli-sci major or a social major, you're getting it applied to your discipline. So you're seeing how is this actually mm -hmm. used in the real world, which is, uh, to me, is far more beneficial yeah. than just randomly learning how many times you can flip a coin and it comes up heads, which is what I had to study. <laughs> That's what you get when you're a business major. Sure. <laughs> so on the other hand, do you have students that may not be sure on what major or what career they want, but they think that, oh, if I go into econ or computer science or something that's exploding, we'll say that they'll have a safety net? Uh, in Absolutely. The end. Um, definitely. And the other the other one related to that that we see is a lot of students who want to pick up the certificate in business um, without even looking at what the courses are and not even realizing that just taking some intro to marketing course does not make you a specialist in marketing mm -hmm. by any stretch of the imagination. So it's it's that idea that, yeah, the, the safety net, and it's usually, it very seldom is coming from the students themselves, sometimes, but very often it is coming from a family member, well-meaning parent, or mm -hmm. someone like that that's saying, oh, get this. But the problem with get this because, I'll take it back to my own experience. Now, I did choose uh, finance. No one forced me into that. But sure. the problem is, if you don't love it, I had a passion for journalism. I had a passion for history. I, had, I even loved poli-sci, although I didn't really know what that was. Um, but I love those things, but that's not what I chose to major in. Had I done so, I probably would have gotten to my ultimate career a lot faster because I would have been pursuing things I was interested in mm -hmm. versus something that I thought would, quote unquote, get me a job. I applied to every bank in the city of Chicago when I graduated, and I had a 3.5 GPA from a good school, but I got rejected back in the day when I went, you got rejection letters. I got rejection letters enough to paper the, the walls <laughs> of my bedroom and my apartment with. I was rejected by every single one of them. I got one interview for a breakfast meeting, it turned into nothing. Mm. And that's how I bumbled into logistics. Um, it wasn't that I went looking for it. Yeah. Um, it was that I was in the boat with no wars and I went, okay, I guess I'll try this then. And, you know, it was, I don't regret having done it. I think logistics was interesting. I still, you know, can tell you today what the abbreviation on a container means and the <laughs> shipping line that belongs to. And that's exactly it, is that nothing is completely a waste. You know, even if you discover that's not your lifetime goal, you will have learned something and you can take that into another area of your life, even if it's only that you can play Trivial Pursuit and, and get an answer to a really obscure question. You know, you you have some exposure and some experience, and a lot of times that does become something. Mm. You know, it, I didn't, but it could have been had I been somebody with some more exposure. Maybe I would have taken that logistics. I, I had experience getting stuff through customs. Part of my job was to figure out what tariff code would go on all the goods that I was importing. Mm. And so, you know, I could have earlier on figured out, hey, I could go work for a customs. That would be interesting. But it's not like that ever occurred to me back in the day. Sure. Nowadays, Days, students have the internet to look at and some of those mm. things are far more tangible. So right. I, I think it's just getting the feel for if you pursue something that you care about, it may not happen instantly and it probably won't. It didn't for me. Um, but if you pursue something you're passionate about, eventually you will get to a place where you're able to use those things that you studied or to pull from those things that you studied, even if you're not directly using them. You can pull from them to make something into the life that you make for yeah, yourself. Yeah, as long as you keep moving forward exactly. with something exactly right yeah so i know that you have an affiliation with our wisconsin and washington program yes. do you have students that come to you and say well i want to work in homeland security and i need to take steps a through d to get there and you have to say whoa sometimes things get a little messy you know definitely be open to moving around a little bit what do you say to that type of student 
Uh, actually, it's usually the other. It's, I want to work in Homeland Security. What steps? Oh, okay. They very seldom have any idea what the steps are. Um, and sometimes, even if they did, they don't say that to me. And then when I start telling them, they're like, oh, but I thought such and such. Mm -hmm. um, so occasionally that def that does come up. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a there's a concept in career advising. It's called planned happenstance. It's a, <laughs> it's a career theory. And what planned happenstance is, is essentially you get into a rowboat. And that rowboat has a couple of, of books to read, but it doesn't have any oars. And the water starts taking you somewhere, and you're reading a book. And as you're reading a book, you're going along the river. And as you're going along the river, you see something that you just read about in your book. And so you, you go, hey, can you get me to shore? And you go on over to shore, and you meet up with that person, and you learn something. And then you go, you know, yeah, I learned something from that, but not quite ready. Maybe I'm getting back in the boat. Mm -hmm. But the whole idea is you're not self-directing. You're not rowing your mm -hmm. way to somewhere. You're allowing the river to carry you somewhere while you are gaining experiences along the way. I think that's terrifying. It is to, terrifying. To, to most to most students. It I is. mean especially people terrifying. my age, like to myself, that would be terrifying. And and because it is terrifying, um, I and most of my colleagues refer them on a regular basis to talk to alumni because sure. the only way you're gonna be convinced that you don't go straight from an undergraduate in corporate finance to being an 18-year uh, veteran of working in higher education, um, you know, with specific steps, is that yet you, you try some stuff along the way. I mm -hmm. mean, I did logistics and then I did real estate. No connection whatsoever. No connection to my, my undergraduate degree and no connection mm -hmm. to my graduate degree. And you will find that that's true for almost anybody 30 and up, that they, they have had multiple different experiences that ultimately led them to where they sure. are. They may or may not be happy with where they are. They might not be in their final job when you talk to them, but that's not the point. You're looking for the fact that this isn't a linear road. Let's let's say we're after college. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard some employers say that UW students are among the brightest, hardworking graduates out there. Sometimes maybe they jump into leadership roles maybe too early. Mm. What do you say to students who tell you, you know, I don't really want to do any of this boring stuff. I want to climb the ladder as quick as I can. Um, how realistic is that? Students can't see me laughing on the other side of the camera. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, and and the thing is, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pick on Alexandria Ocasio Cortez again. Um, there is absolutely nothing wrong with with wanting to change the system, with being positive, with being um, you know like seeing things. But at the same time, look at the fact that even though she's got a green initiative, Nancy Pelosi said, "Yeah, but mm. seniority, you don't have it yet." Um, and there is a reason for that. She doesn't know the who. She doesn't know the how. She knows the what. So what you want to do is you want to work with those senior members in your organization. You want to find a mentor, perhaps. You want to find someone who will help you both to understand the politics of the organization that you're in. And by that, I don't mean Democrat, Republican. I mean, mm -hmm. how do things get done there? How do you get the uh, bread baked, so to speak? But someone who can help you navigate the politics of your organization so that you can make those great ideas and those things that you want to see come to pass, come to pass. Because mm -hmm. just yelling at the sky that it should be different is never going to change anything and you're going to get frustrated and you're going to quit. Sure, sure. Whereas if you say this should change, don't you agree? And that person says, yes, I do. But here's the reality. How can we go about making this idea happen? You'll be far more successful. Do you notice a uptick in students that come to you or we'll say a change, mm. um, the type of student that comes to you when uh, Supreme Court justice is nominated or when the president, a new president is elected or a new governor comes into office? What you know, do you, do you see those? Absolutely. Um, I don't know how much we want to get into the topic of politics, but during the Obama administration, 
lots of students wanted to work for the federal government. Mm -hmm. um, lots of students wanted to intern in the White House. In 2016, that all changed. And a lot of students wanted to run for office instead mm -hmm. or work for someone who runs for office. Yeah. And same thing with the state. I, I'm doing an upcoming workshop with the state of Wisconsin. I've done it for many years. There were times when I had three to five people show up for this workshop. I currently have 45 RSVPs. <laughs> Does that have anything to do with Governor Evers? I couldn't tell you for sure because it's still government agencies and the agencies haven't changed and agencies are nonpartisan. They always have been. But does is there a change? Perhaps. Sure, sure. Can we take this on a, a broader scale sure. and talk about, say, Gen X, mm -hmm. baby boomers, millennials? What sorts of generational differences do you see from students? I think the biggest difference even between, so there's a lot more in common between Gen X and millennials than the public sphere would give us credit for, mm -hmm. even as there is some between the older generation of Gen X and, and boomers. But I think what you tend to see with some of the, the younger students in the workplace, I actually had this conversation with someone this morning, they want everything to go a lot faster. They don't want to put in the time. Gen X just pretty much was told, here, you're going to go to work and you're going to do these things and this is how they're done. And we went, okay. Because that's what we were told to do. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, that's that's how it happened for us. We just we just went to work and became workhorses. Whereas the millennials looked at us and at the at their boomer parents and went, you know, there could be a better <laughs> way. And we're going to see if we can make a better way. And and I think most employer workspaces are still negotiating that. Had a conversation with a friend of mine this weekend who was who she interviewed for a job over the phone and the woman gave her a salary quote. And she was kind of like, yeah, well, I need to make at least such and such. Mm -hmm. and, they, and then the woman started trying to sell her on the fact that they had a gym and they had a this and they had a this. And, and this young lady is, is a boomer. She's older than me. And she's like, I don't care about those things. I, those mm -hmm. things don't matter to me. To They're pay. trying to sell. Exactly. Yeah. They're trying to sell her on something that doesn't matter to mm -hmm. her generationally. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that may or may not matter to many of you. I've heard many um, millennials say, you know, it's nice that they have a soda bar, but <laughs> that's exactly. not going to get me to go to their company. Yeah. It sounds like from our conversation thus far that students who go out and just kind of soak up as much knowledge as they can are in a better position in the long run. Mm -hmm. Are there opportunities or things on campus that are under underutilized mm -hmm. that students are unaware of that you would recommend they get involved with? I don't know that they're unaware, but I absolutely think there are, there are things that they don't take enough advantage of. And that includes clubs and orgs that you can find on the WINS database mm -hmm. and certain things like Badger Volunteers through the Mortgage Center. Whether or not you do the formal Badger Volunteers program, I recommend that any student has an interest in some public service area, again, you know, immigration, homelessness, hunger, veterans, whatever it happens to be, connects with one of the advisors at the Mortgage Center because they have connections with so many of our our local organizations, and they can hook students up with really fascinating experiences to get involved with that issue that they care mm -hmm. about. Connecting with alumni is something that sounds very important because it gives you an opportunity to talk to someone that is in the career that you are potentially interested in. I know we have Badger Bridge. Mm -hmm. What sorts of things are there out there for students to connect with alums of UW or alums of any college that are in positions that they want to go into. So one of the things when we reorganized the SuccessWorks <clears throat> was that we hired Mike Cruz out of the Language Institute, and Mike is our alumni relations coordinator. And what that means, practically speaking, is that he puts on several events. Last fall, we had an event for my community where it was it was a bunch of alums who just sat around a table, and it was sort of like a speed mentoring event, except that the students stayed at the table and the alums moved around. So those are some of the things that Mike helps to organize. And then beyond that, 
um, something that I encourage students to do on a fairly regular basis is that if a student is looking to talk to an alum in a particular area with a particular background, who went to a particular grad school, what have you, I encourage them, all they have to do is send me an email and say, hey, can you find me an alum who went to Tufts or something of this nature? And then what I do is Mike has a form and I fill it out and I say, the student is looking for something and Mike goes to work and he finds somebody, he reaches out to that somebody, creates a connection and then introduces the student and the alum to each other. Sounds so easy. It is, but it requires the student to actually follow through. Sure, sure. (laughs) And sometimes it seems scary and they don't. The one benefit of Badger Bridge is that, you know, particularly if you're an introvert, it's a little bit less scary because when you go on Badger Bridge, you can instantly see in someone's profile how they're willing to help you. They they can check boxes for what they're willing to do. And then so when you send them a message, you know at the outset, this Mm -hmm. person's willing to review my resume. So if I ask, they're not going to be like, why? This person's willing to open doors at their workplace. Well, what does that mean, practically speaking? But you can ask. They said they're willing to do it. So mm-hmm. it does give you some conversation starter topics. So there's the the preset events that a student can attend. There's the request through your specialist to talk to a particular kind of person option. And then there's just utilizing Badger Bridge on your own and or LinkedIn. I mean, the difference is that on LinkedIn, sometimes it costs money to reach out to someone. You have to pay for the premium membership to get to somebody mm-hmm. Or because people aren't always checking their LinkedIn, they may not even see your message. It's nothing personal. If they didn't respond, they just didn't see it. Sure, sure. Yeah. So what if there's a student that has this passion, this drive, but they don't necessarily have the means or a good opportunity to follow these paths? Are there scholarships available? What sorts of things are out there for that type of student? Yeah, so there's a couple of things. The first one I want to mention is something that's relatively new. It's new to our campus, and it's certainly new to our office. And that is that at SuccessWorks, we have something called the Career Closet. Mm -hmm. And what the Career Closet is, is new and gently used professional attire that's either been donated from places like JCPenney or Kohl's or are your fellow professors, people like that. And it's a student can come to our office. They don't have to, they don't have to present their FAFSAs. They don't have to say anything other than I'm here for the career closet. And someone at the front desk will take you back, show you what's there. You could pick up to four items um, out of the career closet each semester. So you could take a total of eight per year and you may keep them. They are not, you don't have, we had students ask if I have to bring these back when I'm done. You do not. Mm-hmm. Um, you can take up to four items out of the closet and those are yours to keep. So um, if you are in need of a suit, if you're in need of, you know, a tie or a scarf or all kinds of things because there's belts, there's scarves. We don't have shoes. That's the one thing we don't have. But virtually any kind of piece of clothing, we do have those. And again, the student does not have to out themselves. We presume that if a student is asking that they have need and it's not our business to ask about what that need is. Sounds and good. And then, so the other yeah. thing that we have, the SuccessWorks Scholarship Fund. Mm. At the moment, that only runs in the summer. But that scholarship fund is geared toward a student who has demonstrated financial need and or is doing doing an unpaid internship. Mm, sure. Those internships tend toward my community. Therefore, we joke a lot of the time that it's the Marie People com- scholarship <laughs> because a lot of the students are going into politics or they're getting yep. a, a museum internship yep. or something in nonprofits where they're getting great experience, but it's not paid experience. And so this scholarship can help fund that. I also want to mention, particularly in the case of um, the State Department, that if a student is looking to do the State Department unpaid internship, which a lot of students have done, which is a fabulous experience, and they don't want to serve in D.C. They want to serve abroad, which is unpaid abroad, flying, housing, the mm-hmm. whole thing is unpaid abroad, that our International Internships Program Office has scholarships that can help fund that. And those are year round. So fall, spring or summer gotcha. semester. OK, great. 
So I guess some just final takeaways then. Mm-hmm. This is a two different part question. Okay. Essentially, what are your goals and what goals do you have for students? And are they interchangeable? As in, mm-hmm. my goal is to ensure that all students get enough knowledge. I'm not going to point them in where they're going to end up, but I want to give them enough information that they will mm-hmm. end up where they'd like to be. And that's kind of a student goal as well. Yeah. You know. Yeah, no, um, I think that's exactly so. It's it's the old concept of uh, teaching a fish, teaching two fish versus giving the fish, and it's absolutely true. And I often actually tell students this that the reason I am telling you this, or the reason I'm going into so much depth in this, is because I want you to be capable of doing this when I'm not around. You're perfectly capable of doing this. Anybody can learn to do this. Mm-hmm. I want to give you the skills so that you feel confident to do it when I'm not sitting next to you. Great. So yeah, I, I would say that that's absolutely true. Is giving students the go- the resources, the tools tools, the tips, the techniques, so that they can then take those. Same as any professor in a classroom, mm-hmm. really. I mean, that professor's not going to sit next to you and give you your your identity into Dostoevsky today. Yes. Um, you know, but you're going to take that and you're going to utilize it later on. Great. I just like to say thanks, Marie. This has been a fantastic episode in what kind of wonderful resource we have on campus that isn't necessarily known. I know from my experience, having talked to you prior to this interview and now talking to you during the interview, there's so much stuff that I missed or or the opportunity was there, but I wasn't aware of it or I didn't know how to fully embrace it. And so I really hope that students can hear this podcast and start somewhere. They have a jumping off point with you and who knows where that could lead. Absolutely. Thank you. That's it for this episode of 1050 Bascom. Join us on our next episode as we sit down with poli-sci professor John Peavy House to discuss his research on international political economy and maybe his Dr. Pepper addiction as well.